0: What jumped out? I mean, what did you see? You what did you talk about last week? Rhythm. Rhythm. Right. rhythm of the Christian life?
1: No, keeping the Sabbath. You started it. Well, Whoa! <laughs> 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 you said you couldn't sit still for long.
0: <laughs> well, we, were
2: talking, you know, we were talking about how it is good, like rhythmic t- building in time for so wrath. That's right. And even. even Oh mm-hmm. he was giving the example of the kids on the youth
0: retreat, that's right, and how they Oh yeah. Them. And the pastor's retreat. He used yeah. the yeah, right. right. Yeah, talk about no rest. Go to a pastor's retreat sometimes. Whew. Um Yeah, that's right. So okay, so what do you what do you have from last week? Any questions or comments or things you liked, things you didn't like? Okay, all right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That okay, that's good. Well, let's start there, and then we can get into, uh, he starts, where I kind of started was with St. John's Gospel, the ego i me, the I am statements, mm-hmm. and the re-account of creation, and that then gets us into the rhythm of the Christian life, which is, I mean, the seven days of creation is essentially a liturgy, is what goes on. So then the seventh day he rests. But this is not a bad place to start with what all that means. Um, I think one of the chief stories in all of Scripture that, su- that kind of gives us an idea of what the Sabbath is all about is Mary and Martha and Jesus. Okay? Was that in the text for the Sabbath? Okay. Well, it should be because really that's the text. So you remember there's this great story, Jesus is with Mary and Martha. And, of course, everyone wants to be a Martha. Right? I mean, well, I shouldn't say that. Most people think it's, it's kind of neat to say, I'm just a Martha, I just have to work. But actually, the one who, who chooses the better way is Mary. And what does Mary do when, he's, when she's there with Jesus? Do you remember? Sits at, Sits at his feet and listens, which is precisely what happens at every divine service. You, you can be a Martha throughout the week, but when you come to church, you should be a Mary. There's, nothing, there's really nothing for you to do at all but sit there and receive the gifts of Jesus, Jesus, which come through the spoken word and the words spoken at other things. Bread and wine, you know, body and blood. So, uh, that is the text then for what happens at the Sabbath. You're either a Mary or a Martha. If you're a Martha, that, that's not a bad thing, but it's not best for the Sabbath. What's best for the Sabbath is to be a Mary and simply sit and listen and receive the gifts. So, there's this great idea of the whole idea of just resting in the liturgy. This is why... Well, this is why I get so hung up on, on music and selection, and and and, and even when you go to other churches, that, especially when you don't have the liturgy, then it's even worse. You know, you go to a place that doesn't have the liturgy, and that's a heck of a lot of work. But but what we do should just be restful and easy, and a time to rejoice and relax and receive the gifts. It
1: sounded like the rest of the day. Yeah, it, yeah, it sounded it like he the had, the had to be a Mary the rest of, of the day. Different people have different
2: ideas of what rest.
0: Well, imagine for a moment if on Sundays you went home and you actually did nothing. You 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 observed a Sabbath like a Jew would observe a Sabbath. Now, go ahead. Do you do that?
1: Every, every man would get tired of the baby's poop smelling real fast. <laughs> And no dinner on the table. Yeah. And laundry for the next morning. Yeah. Yes.
0: Right. And, I, and maybe that's the old Adam coming out It's I, okay. I,
1: I still had questions about it.
0: Big well, let's take the other, because con- I, I actually, I'm, I more agree with you than with this whole idea that you don't do anything. on the same. I actually am very close to what you're saying, but I think there's still a restfulness to that. So let's just see what other people have to say. Holly. Well, I just last.
3: Less- Um, And uh, you know, there's this there's this notion that you have to kind of be a Martha on the Sabbath, but in regards to
1: prayer
0: Mm -hmm. and you know worship, Mm -hmm. sort of like a a super Martha, like a super Martha that you know is like working really hard to pray. Martha on steroids. (laughs) You can imagine that scene. <laughs> I'm sure he answers those prayers. Keep going. <laughs> uh, so, so my struggle is always, you know, is sorta of goes back and forth like, how do you how do you rest when it's
3: not restful for me to go shopping? Mm-hmm.
0: gotcha. But the other part of me is like, you know, kind of worried, like just living right right okay? But there should be a rest, right? I mean, there sh- there should be. Yes. Even if we work 6 days of the week, we should still take that seventh day. That's right. The, the question is the re- I think the question behind the question is what is rest? <laughs> what is the rest? No one disagrees that there should be rest. There should be rest. But what is the rest? Does the rest mean that you're, you know, you're slothful and you don't do anything? Maybe that's well, I'm 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 revealing myself right now what I think. But is rest that you don't do anything or that you do things differently than you would during the week? So, that's the question behind the question. Jill? Don, who's actually on the back of Peterson book. Uh-huh.
2: So when she started to keep the Sabbath a long time ago, she, um, anytime she thought of doing work, she wrote it down on a piece of paper and put it in a basket. And she got herself ready to keep the Sabbath on Saturday night. So she did her organization and her cleaning as best she could so that she could actually enjoy her space on Sunday. But like she said, she loves to cook. And she doesn't get a Sunday. That's something that's not considered work to her. Mm -hmm. And her husband loves to garden, and he gardens on Sundays. And she said, once they started to figure out that putting the normal work things aside and concentrating on what you find peace and rest in and what brings you joy, then it allowed her to actually listen to what the Lord was asking her to do. Mm -hmm. So to separate out the idea, because it's going to be different
0: Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, I just
3: wanted to comment that um, when, I, when we went through that, that book
0: last year. That's I, right. That, I, book, that book, which we won't name. The book that we won't name. Um, I, um, I struggled with a lot of the rules uh-huh. or the rituals. Or Those things. are different things, though. Okay. They're different things.
3: That my job, and actually, this is what holds my marriage together a lot, Mm -hmm. is that I keep in mind who I serve. Mm -hmm. I don't serve my husband well, I do, but only because I serve God. Mm -hmm. And the work that He gives me is a blessing.
0: Mm -hmm. That's exactly right.
3: Yeah. It's like a double Saturday. Right. And so I guess what I'm saying is I don't think that – I think that, you know, when he talks about having a day of rest, I don't think it's for us to give ourselves rest. But you know how sometimes it's just to show up and the rest follows? Mm-hmm. I think when I show up at church, he, the rest of the day is blessed mm-hmm. – it doesn't matter what I do, whether I go shopping for mm-hmm. shoes, whatever. Exactly. I'm in a different mind frame just because I deliberately went to church. Yes, that's right. To allow and, him to give me a day of rest. And
0: that's the point of what he's saying here. That's the reason he uses the language of gift. Rest is really, when rest is burdensome or even forced, it's not a gift. And it can't be mm-hmm. a gift. Anything that comes by force is not a gift. But he says here that rest is actually a gift, which means you show up and and... He gives you the rest, right? And the, and the other point, the other, the other thing to be kind of conscious of is right now all those things feel like interruptions. Going to church feels like an interruption. Or praying in the morning feels like an interruption. The goal of the Christian life, I shouldn't even say it, the Christian life is to move from interruption to rhythm. That's what it is. Prayer for many people is an interruption. And I remember I was, I was with this group when we, I think we were using the the book that won't be named. We were going through that, talking about prayer. And, and what happened was, I remember we got to one point where I drew on the board. I said, people go from three stages where they can't stand prayer, where they're okay with prayer, and where they can't wait for prayer. A person that's at the third stage, that interruption has become rhythm. Interruption is of the law. Rhythm is of the gospel. So we want to move everyone from interruption to rhythm. Right now, for, for me, I mean, prayer was an interruption a year and a half ago. Prayer is just part of the rhythm now. You can't go without it. Same thing with church, same thing with rest, really. So rest is not, I think what everyone is saying is, yeah, in in an ideal world, you go home and you you lie on the couch and that would be it. And someone would make dinner and the angels would bring it down from heaven and wouldn't this be great and the family would get along and whatever. That's not rest. Rest is, you know, for me, rest is cutting the grass. In fact, there's there's nothing better, then we'll get to you, there's nothing better for me than a Saturday where I don't have to preach. Saturday actually, in a sense, becomes my Sabbath because there's, there's no interruption. There's like, there's like a liturgy to life. I get up, I take a walk, I make a pot of coffee, I play with Emma, I watch football, Abby and I watch a movie, we go out, we do whatever. All of that has become rhythm and not interruption. For me, Saturday is a Sabbath, but obviously if you have to work that night, there's an interruption, so you, somehow you have to fit the Sabbath into it, and, and that. You know, Jill's great about talking about the, what is it, the country of the Trinity? Is that what he talks about all the time? That's what every family is. So a Sabbath is not that you wait for dinner to be put down on the table, but you actually eat dinner as a family. That's Sabbath rest. That's residing in the country of the Trinity. Because as we drew on the board, there were three people to the Trinity. The front space is open for you, and that's your family. So every, every dinner table is a picture of the Trinity, regardless of how many people you have. Okay, so that's Sabbath rest.
2: Uh, I, I was just thinking about what you just said about how, how it for a year and a half, ago it was an in interruption mm-hmm. for you, and how you've moved towards mm-hmm. not, and how how does
0: that happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, because it, some, it doesn't just go from being exactly.
3: an interruption to you actually have to you
2: have to do. You something. have to do it. Yeah. You have to do it and actually maybe push yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah. You really... So you to set to set
2: aside the time. Yes. Maybe like what Jill's talking about. Cooking, mm-hmm. yeah. or you have to set the table, so to speak, to allow yourself mm-hmm. to... There has to be a
0: discipline. There has to be a discipline. Oh,
2: yeah, which, which seems like a rule. It, exactly. Yeah, so, it's, I, for me, it's hard to get from
0: interaction, yes. to where you feel like... And, like, how did you do it? Just well, just by doing... I mean, yeah. there's... I mean, okay, every word can be said two ways. Discipline is very much a gospel word. There's rhythm to that. But when you do it by compulsion, like I know if I don't do it, it's going to be one hell of a day. You know? And even if I do do it, most times it's one hell of a day. But you just begin to do it in the hopes that it's totally for the wrong reasons to start. You just do it because that's who you are and you say, I just got to do it because I got to do it. And everyone else does it who's a, you know, a very faithful Christian. But you get to the point now where it's actually a part of you. If you don't do it, you, that's when the interruption occurs. When you don't do it. Exactly. You're interrupted in the midst of your day by thinking, well, I didn't, I didn't say my prayers this morning. You kind of like hang out and say, hey, God, make me a good prayer. Yeah, Exactly. It has to. And sometimes that's by force, um, but it turns into gospel. You just got to do it. Just do it. And just keep doing it and find ways to help you do it. So if you're not good at praying, find a book that has prayers. And that then eases you into praying. If you need something visual, look at an icon. If you want to light a candle, don't put this on tape. Light a candle. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you got to do to help you pray. Shoot, string up beads. Follow beads. Do whatever you want to do. I don't care. Just, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, in the back. There was a comment made, um, maybe it was last week or the week before, but it was just kind of I'm not sure that I heard it right. Okay. I don't know, I, was, I wasn't here, but that, I mean, certainly you only know how to pray because the Spirit cries out within you, as St. Paul says. The Spirit is continuing, in fact, you're praying right now, even though you don't know it. You just can't put it all into words. Because all the Spirit does is pray. Or, and and that's, all the, that's all the Son does, is He continually bids the Father on your behalf. Um, but whether or not He gives you, yeah, He has to give you the words to say. He has to give you the words to say because prayer is simply speaking back to God what he's already spoken to you. So how do you get the words to pray? You've got to read the scriptures. And all prayer is, is speaking back the scriptures. You're not telling the Lord anything new. If you're telling the Lord something new in prayer, then you're not really praying, you're not being a faithful person of prayer. But to pray is simply to say, Lord, here's what you've said, here's what you've done, and here's what I ask because you've told me to ask. So can you pray to win the lottery? No. Can you pray for healing or even to be joined to the sufferings of Christ? First Peter 4. Yes, you can. So the greatest prayer is just speak back what the Lord's already spoken to you. In fact, reading the scriptures is really a form of prayer. Especially when you read them aloud. The viva vox. Yeah. It might be good to have a session or a series on how to, to pray. That would actually be very good. Uh-huh. <coughs> right. Well, I can tell you this. What we try to do with the new members, and, of course, it doesn't happen with everyone, but what we try to do is give them the names and then teach them how to pray within the names. If you can't pray within the name of – pick any name of Jesus and you can pray within it. Jesus is not the great casino owner, you know, but he is the great physician, so you can pray for healing for anything and anyone and whatever, but you can't pray to, you can't pray to win the lottery. Um, so as long as you're within the name, you're okay. So we, instead of, maybe what we could do is teach people actually how to use the names well, but usually there's not enough time for that, so we teach them what are the names and then bid the Lord via these names. But you are right, even a, even a short class on prayer wouldn't be so bad. There is a book by, I think John Kleinig wrote it, Uh, It just was put out by CPH about a year ago. It's a little devotional book that basically runs you through how to pray. In fact, we may even have some copies upstairs. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah, it's 50 pages maybe. If you want a copy, there's a copy upstairs. You can just take it. Yes.
2: My struggle is when I go to church to actually rest in church because mm-hmm. I'm there with my children.
0: Right. And it's very hard
2: to, I even concentrate on the sermon sometimes. I'm taking someone to the bathroom,
0: whatever. Right. But
2: my way to resolve it is at least I'm getting my children in the
0: habit yep. of going to church, and eventually mm-hmm. it will come. Mm-hmm. And, uh, That's right. So do I just look at it as interruption to... Interruption that's building a rhythm, <laughs> yeah, moving interruption. That's right. Well, I, but the reality is, it may not happen for a while. Which is what you're expecting. I think the here's, and again, I'm tipping my hand here. I think the way not to resolve it is to put your kids in the nursery right away. I hear me correctly. The nursery is not a bad thing. I do think it's bad when people just drop their kids off and they never get exposed to the liturgy. We bring even our little ones, mm-hmm. but if it is hard. And mm-hmm. that I completely understand. My, my point is, the nursery is not here so that parents can go to church alone. Mm-hmm. The nursery is here so parents can find rest if there is no rest with their kids in the pew. So um, that's just my own bias. I think, in fact, there's a book out by Schmayman, Alexander Schmayman, who's no longer alive, an Orthodox theologian. And I think you probably read or looked at some of his book, The Eucharist, he wrote. Um, and he's in the margin comments all the time. But he writes this great book on how kids are catechized in the faith, and he said Sunday school was the worst thing that ever happened to the church. Because no, not Sunday school, Sunday school during church, because yeah. kids' parents drop their kids off at Sunday school and go to church, and the kids never go to church. So his point is, bring your kids to church. I think St. John kids are extraordinary in the length of time they Yeah. Because we have long services. Yeah. I'm amazed how long some kids. Yeah. Yes, that's right. They can sit for a long time yeah. quietly
2: in church. Well, and that's, and they, they understand. They somehow, in their, yeah. they somehow, even as
1: little babies
0: mm-hmm.
1: and toddlers, know that that's, that's
2: Exactly.
0: And you do that for a couple of years, and suddenly it becomes I mean, kids are just quiet when they go to church. And even if they're not, they know that something different is happening here. sermon on and he talked about children Right. Yeah. Time, at that yep uh, mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was it was loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> 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 That's right. In a gospel sort of way. <laughs> I know. And you know what? Sometimes it happens, and it just happens. I will, We were just at Wheaton Bible Church yesterday looking at the space with a liturgical consultant, and one thing we noticed that was striking was the back wall. I had not really noticed this before. It doesn't have any windows. Back wall to the church. Yeah. In fact, the guy said, this was his comment, he said, that back wall just, well, it looks old. One, it looks like it blocks off something that people can't get to, and the doors feel small with that wooden wall, you know, the whatever that stuff is. Um, But to open that up and even have some big windows then connects the people on the outside and the inside. Right now, it's like you're sending them off to the zoo, you know? In here is church, out there is the zoo. But if we can put some windows in, that would be helpful. So we'll have to see. Yeah, Carol.
1: Somewhere along the line, I was instructed that you have to work at
0: worship. Yeah. Well, that is... um, I remember, as a kid, I remember. well, I was a member of this church for 21 years that I grew up in. I remember every Sunday the pastor would begin by saying, this is before the altar call at the end of the service, so you can tell what I'm getting. This is a Missouri Synod church that had an altar call at the end of the service. Very Lutheran, you can tell. And he began the service by praying, um, let's give our, something like, let's give our best to the Lord today. So the whole idea was that the Lord was this kind of king of the universe, and you're putting on a big drama for the Lord. And that's the way it was described always to me, was this is a big play and we do our best and hopefully the Lord will accept it. When that's, that's not only... Yeah, it's Missouri Synod. It's scary. What? Well, actually it's, it's... Well, yeah, in that respect, but even Rome would say the liturgy is a gift to them. There's one point where they offer something up and that's the body and blood of Jesus. But yeah, it was like the whole service was a sacrifice. And so I, I remember as a kid thinking if I'm not paying attention, the Lord's angry because I'm not part of this big drama. And when the whole point of the liturgy is the Lord is actually doing a drama to you, or as one theologian says, the Lord is doing the word to you. He just does it. And whether or not you pick up all of it, that's not really a big deal. In fact, the whole point of a liturgy or even a good sermon is you can come in and out at different points audibly and still know what's going on. That's why a sermon should say one thing. If you say five things, you're not going to know what's going on. If you say one thing, you can come in and out and catch it. The liturgy, you can come in and out and catch it. So the Lord is doing this to you. The only, the only thing that ever is back to the Lord is simply, really, your amens and your praise for what he's done. But that's not even work. That's just rejoicing in the gifts. Yeah. I have a question about, in some of the readings you say, let's bless the Lord. Yeah. It's true. It's, it's like, it, where that comes from is the Zechariah account, where the Benedictus, as it's called, the blessing. He's, you know, it said Zechariah, and even Simeon does this with the baby Jesus. He blesses the Lord. To simply bless the Lord is not to say, not a blessing like what the pastor gives to you. Or Je- it's simply to say, hey, thanks for all this. Isn't this great? Blessed be the Lord. We hope your name continues on forever. Exactly. Yeah. Donna? Huh? Because the and
1: all our activities and all the of should I think it's
3: hmm.
0: hmm No, go ahead, you can read it. Worship is the primary as the blinds are the So it starts with Yes. starts with receiving Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you talking about Uh huh. So mm-hmm.
3: if part
0: of the our life, we will the Exactly. Right. Right, exactly. Hmm? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Any, who grew up Catholic? Come on, raise your hands. It's all okay. The Lord, the Lord loves you. Well, uh, yes, he does. Um, you remember at the end of the Mass, how many of you have ever been to a Latin Rite service? You have? At the end of the Mass, they probably chanted, ete missa est, right? And in English, we always translate that, the Mass has ended, go in peace, right? So everyone says, thanks be to God, this thing is over, I'm going to head out the doors. When in actuality, it's translated, go the mission. That's the way the service ends. You've just had the Mass, go the mission. And what that says, if you say the Mass has ended, go in peace, that doesn't bear the full weight of the Mass is everything, and that, that actually influences the rest of your life. So the ma- or, go the mission is what Donna's saying. Your life revolves around altar, pulpit, and font. And if you can just think about how different the world would be if people said, my life depends on Sunday, and everything else revolves around that. Instead, we say, my life depends on Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, and I throw Sunday in. And one example is, pick any wedding you've been to. I bet you 99.9% of the weddings you've been to have been just the marriage right. Because what matters is the marriage People who get it say, and this is not to bang on anyone who's not done this, but people who get it say, we want a liturgy and put the marriage right in it. So my wife and I had evening prayer, and we said, put the, or the Stellwagens had the Eucharist, put the marriage right in, because the thing is not the marriage, the thing is the Eucharist. And if people can begin to see all of life that way, the thing is Sunday and everything else revolves around it, um, this, this world would be dramatically different. You wouldn't have people not skipping, you wouldn't have people who skip church. Right? And now it's totally in the way of the law. If you don't come 80% of the time, you don't get your tuition break and, you know, you, I mean, that's that's completely nonsense. That is completely anti-Jesus. That's completely anti-Genesis 1 and 2. But that's the world we live in. But the hope is, right now it's an interruption form. The hope is that it becomes a rhythm. But it'll, on this side of heaven, it won't happen completely, sadly. Yeah? What I like about um, having
3: Advent and Lent season is having the midweek service. Yep.
0: <laughs> so, Which is still very nice. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, so it was nice on Wednesday night to go back to church and see friends again yep. and have church. And then it's like, you know, you can't be through all the way back to
3: Sunday.
0: Yep. So that was... That was Matt Harrison's example with the, the sack, bringing your sack in. You're empty on Sunday and the Lord fills it back up at the altar and sends you out. But you've got to come back to refill. And that, you know, ask Pastor... Bre- or, well, I'll just tell you. The greatest part of the week is Thursday morning Eucharist for me. That's the best part of the week. Not that Sunday's not good, but Thursday's like, hey, we get it again. You know? That's, I look forward to Thursday morning almost more than anything else. So for those of you who don't come to Thursday morning, come to Thursday morning. It's great. Um, what's that? Bring them in. Emma comes. She screams in the back right during the verba. This is my body. And you hear her go, ha, 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 like, you know. That's Dad, that's right. In fact, we put on Catholic Mass at home, which we don't watch very often. But when we do put it on, Emma just starts yelling, Dad, because she can't tell the difference. She just sees the Eucharist and says, that's my Dad, right? It's very cute. I know. I'm ready to give it to her. What do you think? The Eucharist? Maybe next year. We'll see. Okay. 7.40 a.m. It's a 20-minute service, 7.40 to 8. Yep. It starts probably, yeah, you, don't be late, because we start. <laughs> it, 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 there's a two-minute homily, there's a full Eucharist, it's a full service, really. Yeah, 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Well, we don't sing anything on, two, on Thursday morning. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> two-minute, which I'd be fully in favor of, but uh, the rest of the guys may not. So, okay, what else from the text? We should at least get past page 85, just so when Bruzik says, where did you get? We can say, one page. page." (laughs) This is great, though. I mean, this whole idea of Sabbath is kind of everything. So, what else? Yeah. Yeah. Talk about getting ahead. Okay. No, no, no. We started at 85, I think. Go ahead.
1: That's right. So no. And I and then I was thinking and then God breathes on us
3: at our baptism. hmm But in between Adam and um Pentecost? Right. Was there no Holy Spirit breathing? You know what I mean? Like, I do. Was, was Adam because it was mm-hmm.
0: Uh-huh. Um, right. No, there wasn't a void. I actually, I marked this up, this page, because I thought it was, I had the same point. The, that Hebrew word for breathing into Adam is uh, nefesh, which is like someone, who told me the other, Beth Kaut said uh, she found that striking that nefesh meant really like the neck. It's It everything, holds everything together. But what it really is, even more than that, it encompasses the whole person. He doesn't just breathe the spirit into Adam. It's different than Ezekiel and the dry bones. That's a different Hebrew word than nefesh. That's like they're dead and he puts the spirit into them. That's baptismal, okay, to the dry bones. What he does to Adam is he actually makes him a whole person. It's like he breathes life into him. It's not just the spirit. It's the whole thing. Boom, whole life. But the fact that he connects that then to John chapter 20 means that what he does is he gives life to creation in Genesis 1 and he gives life to the church in John chapter 20. Because, you know, John chapter 20 is explicitly a reference to the apostles and pastors. This is their ordination right here. So he breathes on the apostles the same way he breathes on Adam and he gives life to the church then. So was he acting before that? Yeah, he was, but in a, not in the same way. Well, it would be in the Greek, but he says it's the same word. Yeah. So he actually breathes all of life, because what's he doing? He's actually, he's actually putting himself into the apostles to go out and stand in his stead. So to say that a person is, um, um, like to say that the apostles were little, in a sense, little incarnations of Jesus is very true. They were vicars of Christ. They stood in his stead because he breathed life into them. And that's what happens at an ordination. When your husband was on the you know on the ground, boom, the same words are spoken, Receive the Holy Spirit, and he was then made as one to stand in Jesus' stead. So what the Lord was doing is he was giving new birth to the church once again on June 17th or June 24th, whatever. June 3rd, yeah. <laughs> he was giving new life. It was a little Genesis one and two at that very altar. Well, we receive a different- Not a different spirit. He comes in a different. He gives you a different. He comes in a different way though in holy baptism. What he does is he actually takes up residence in your flesh and makes you a temple, as St. Paul says, but it's not for the same purpose. I mean, we say receive the Holy Spirit at a confirmation. But does that mean that they're pastors? It's, it's different. It's for a different task. So he makes everyone a Christian by putting his spirit into them, and then he says, hey, I'm going to give you a little more for this specific task. I'm going to give you a little more confirmation so you can live as a Christian. Or even at a wedding, we could probably say it. Weddings are... More sacramental than what people think. But that's for another discussion. Mm-hmm. What else? <laughs> what else? Uh, yes, sure. Yes
1: he does. Right.
0: He does. Yep. Uh, the first bit is right. He does give you exactly the same spirit, right? I mean, there's no distinction. No, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's no distinction. You're baptized. I'm baptized. Everyone is baptized. All have the same spirit. What he does then is at specific times in people's lives. He says, receive the Spirit, or pour out. he pours out the Spirit on them for a specific task. So, at your confirmation, what's your specific task? To live the life that Christ has called you to live now throughout the rest of your days. Um, At a wedding, what's your specific task? To be faithful to your husband, to be faithful to your wife. At an ordination, what's your specific task? As he says in John 20, to forgive and to not forgive. And as he says in the in the institution narratives, to baptize, to teach, and to give the holy supper. Is
1: that something that we should be praying for when we have a specific or when we see the potential uh-huh. for a specific task, like a non-Christian friend or um, aid to somebody who yeah. is hurting
0: and we mm-hmm. don't quite know how to go about it? Uh, yes, but you can rest assured that it's already there. So here's the thing. It's divinely instituted to put pastors into office. It's divinely instituted to baptize and put the Spirit into people. It's also divinely instituted to be a Christian. Whether or not the Lord has a divine mandate that when you're on the corner of Maine and seminary, you share your faith, he may not. He may, because you're a Christian. But whether or not you need to re-ask for the Spirit, what it may do is take us out of the realm of kind of sacramental Christianity, which is what he's pushing for here, to almost a sort of Gnosticism where it's about the Spirit and not about, the, it's, I just need the Spirit again and then I can do what the Lord wants me to do. So what we, I think we can rest assured that baptismally, you have the Spirit to do that specific task. All he's called you to do is be a Christian. And part of being a Christian is to share your faith. He's not called you to forgive sins, stin, to forgive sins in the stead and by the command of Jesus. He's not called you Yes, but do you give the same forgiveness the Lord does uh, publicly or even privately on behalf of Jesus? It is different. That's the difference. Yes, if your husband sins against you, you have to forgive him. You have to. I mean, that's just who you are. Even if someone says, I've sinned, you can say your sins are forgiven. But you've actually, you can forgive sins one to another. It's not given for you to forgive sins on behalf of someone else when they've sinned. Okay? Okay. And, and, and then that's why St. Paul says you're stewards of the mysteries. If you're not put into place as a steward through the laying on of hands, you don't have the mysteries. And the mysteries are the sacraments. That's what St. Paul's referencing there. So can anyone stand at the altar and say, This is my body, and it is the body and blood of Christ? No. That's not what the Lord's promised. And what's sad is, most of the Missouri Synod thinks you can do that. But that's not what the scriptures say. If we just would read the scriptures, we'd be great. <laughs> But that's not what the scriptures say. So, what's he put you into place to do to be a Christian? And all that entails sharing your faith, praying for others. You don't need the Spirit again um, because you've got it. But if you make someone a pastor, that's a different task. Okay? Thanks. You're talking around the priesthood of all believers. Yes, I am. <laughs> that's very much an uneven, uh, yep. very formed way. Yeah. Not, not you. Yes, like, right. Saying, yeah, right. The, yeah. But they would say, yes, you can do all that. Uh huh. Yeah. Why. Uh, yeah. I mean, kind of deterred, but what what in a that we can Yeah. I think it came out in the 70s there was a book called Everyone a Minister or Priesthood. Or maybe it was called the Priesthood of All Believers or something like that. To be quite honest, that kind of ruined the church for a long long time. Um, because what it said was there's no distinction and and here's the if you don't understand this what I'm going to say then you don't understand then you won't understand any of this that distinction and authority and obedience are all gospel words. If you can understand that, then you can understand what the Lord does with pastors and parents and couples and whatever and not be offended that you're not one of them. Okay. So we see in St. Paul, you know, there are bishops, there are pastors, and there's rank. There's rank. So all three of us are pastors here, but Bruzek does have rank over us. But that's not something that we get upset about because that's a gospel word. When Dan Gilbert came, he's the bishop. He has rank over all of us. But that's a gospel word. And it's the same thing with the whole notion of pastors and the priesthood of all believers. As Luther once said, everyone is, called, everyone is a priest, but not everyone's a pastor. So the distinction is the priesthood of all believers is better said the priesthood of the baptized because you're just baptized. First Peter, you're a royal priest. But that doesn't mean you're called to be a pastor. So that's the distinction that was blurred with this book, Everyone a Minister. Because they used another term, than minister, and said everyone's a minister. So today, you know, um, you have ministers of religion, ministers of teaching, ministers of music. Augie's the minister of janitorial services, you know. And what's, everyone chuckles. But Augie could be rostered on the Synod's website as a, as a minister of something and get the same rights and privileges as every other minister. But that's not what the Lord said. It really means forgiven. just means you're forgiven. It means now the temple curtain's been torn in two, which we need to talk about. The temple curtain's been torn in two, and you have access to the Father. So when Jesus tabernacles among us... We should really have a board here, but that would not be in the way of my emotional self to write on the board like that. I need to sit down and talk to everyone. <laughs> the, the, but when Jesus... T- John one fourteen, tabernacles among us. The word there is skanes, which is the same word for a tabernacle. Jesus is a tabernacle... When do you have access to the Father? Not when the temple curtain is torn in two outside of Golgotha, but when Jesus' side is pierced. That's why water and blood come out. That's the sacraments. There's no institution of the sacraments in John's Gospel. That's it. Water, baptism, blood, Holy Supper. You now have access to Jesus. That's why Jesus in John 1 is called the tabernacle or a temple. He's torn in two. So you get inside the temple. You become a royal priest when you're baptized, when you have the supper. But you don't become a pastor by doing that. Okay. I, I never thought of it that way. The priesthood has, a, has the same act as mm-hmm. the high priest. Exactly. Yeah, you can yeah. bid the father whenever you want. That's fascinating. I mean, yeah. You can go right to the main chamber. Exactly. Yeah, there is and so Exactly. And what and what the pastor does then corporately is in in the that's why I collect is the collection of the prayers. So we pray the collect, the pastor prays it on behalf of the priesthood, on behalf of the faithful. So you point one person or three people to say these prayers for you, but yeah, you can be at home and you can bid the Father and you can read the scriptures and you can pray for friends and you can do whatever you want. But yet, chiefly it means just forgiven. Go ahead. Go ahead, no, go ahead, ask. Ask away. No, We've got 10 minutes. <laughs> um Can I let's take a 10 minute break and then I accept it as gospel and not as Yes Exactly. Okay, let me ask you this. Uh, um, well, I, I personally think the chief text for how the church works, male and female, pastors and laity, is Ephesians chapter 5 where Jesus talks about Jesus and the church. That should be preached at every ordination because that's the text. Because really, that's why uh, that every ordination is a little marriage. The pastor is being married to the church. Um, So let me ask you this, where do you fit in relationship to your husband? That's right, that's right, right, okay, and and let let me also tell you this, to be a wife, well, okay, to be the head of the house doesn't necessarily mean you get everything you want, and it doesn't mean you dominate, that's not the way of Jesus. Sometimes means you don't get you want what you want because exactly. Well, okay, there are two things. Let's, okay. First is I tell every and this never goes over well, and why I keep doing it, I don't know. <laughs> now that I'm thinking of it, I'm so stupid of me. Why do I keep doing this? Every married couple, every couple I sit down with for premarital counseling, which by the way, I'm now two for seven. Okay, <laughs> inside joke. No, it's an inside joke. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Pastor Nelson is one for one, so he's, he's on a roll, and he's batting a thousand. Um, every married couple, I sit down, and we read through Ephesians 5. I have three texts I always read. Genesis 1 and 2, man and woman, from his side. That's where Luther gets his thing. Kitty, my rib, is the book he writes. Catherine, from my side, Eve. I always read Genesis 1 and 2. I read John 2, the wedding at Cana, the presence of Christ matters. And Ephesians 5, that's all I use in premarital counseling. Whenever we get to Ephesians 5, though, here's where I should think about how I say this. I always say, and inevitably someone, the woman, well, I've had men say it. I don't agree with this. You can't read it in church. Marriage right is honor, love, obey, right? Right out of Ephesians 5. What I always say is actually the man's got the harder task because at the end of Ephesians 5, you remember who's got to be willing to die, not the woman, but the man. It says, "And be willing to give up your life for her, just as Christ gave up His life for His bride, the church." So the woman, sir, the woman, is submissive in a gospel way, and the husband then is willing to give up, give up his life for his bride, the church. And about to, or, to to the church, actually, it, the same rules apply. By um, the ordination of women, is utterly anti-Christ, because Ephesians five. Jesus is the head, and the bride is a woman, is his body. If a woman becomes the head of the church, it's the whole Ephesians 5 is flipped on its head, and it's utterly anti-Jesus. So what needs to happen is you've got to put men into place. Boom, that's the head, because this is just a picture of the church. This is an icon of the church. The man is the head, and the woman is the bride. Whatever the woman is to do in Ephesians 5, the woman is to do in the church. It's still vague, but we only have six minutes left. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. As the deaconess manual says, <laughs> as the deaconess manual says, they're supposed. They are in service. To the office of the holy ministry and to Christ and His church. If a deaconess usurps the pastor's authority in some way, it's the Ephesians five flipped upside down again. So for for us, the the deaconesses don't teach men in class. Um, they'd never they would never preside at a service. They'd never liturgically do anything like that. Um, because what that does is it puts them into the headship role of Ephesians five, rather than the submissive bride. So where do they fit in? They're fully in service to the office of the ministry and to Christ and His church, usually through acts of mercy, words of witness, care of souls. They care for the poor and needy. Uh, Wilhelm Lea, what's that? Yes, yeah, very much so. I mean, there are, but never over. But they never. But they would never preside, you know, we go to um, the Benedictine, not a monastery, it's, uh, yeah, in Lyle, and the women are there, and they say prayers every day, but it's just the women, and so the women lead the prayers, the women read the scriptures, they don't preach or anything, it's just a prayer office, but if a man ever comes in, they always try to have a priest there, because now now the game has changed, right, so Wilhelm Lea, who really brought, he's the Lutheran, you know from back in the 17th century, 18th century, 19th century, brings deaconesses to America. His big thing was they actually had houses for deaconesses and they wore habits and they were like nuns. But as as his motto says, I will care for the suffering just as Christ does. They actually bring the presence of Christ to people, but in a different way than what the office of pastor does. They're not there to forgive sins or bring the supper or baptize. They're there just to be Christ. Because they're baptized.
1: What always bothered me was that the women brought the first sermon, Easter sermon, to the disciples.
0: Well, yeah, I, I mean, first is—is is it a, Are they preaching or are they just bearing the good news? Which every—I mean, you can bear the good news to a man, right? But whenever you have the whenever you have the public proclamation of the gospel in the scriptures, it's never—they're women sharing the faith all over. In fact, if a woman wouldn't have. Shared the faith after the resurrection, the disciples wouldn't have known. She brought it, mm-hmm. but there is a difference. There is a difference. Oh, so,
2: what
0: about all those like? I really have two minutes, so we I'll tell
2: you. Real, I'll, I mean, is it
0: legitimate? No, it's not. Yeah. In fact, there's not. There, there, cannot. They cannot have the holy supper. They can't. It well. It is, and if here's the thing. If you don't have a steward, you don't have the mysteries. If they're not put into office as a steward, you can't have the mysteries. And the Lord doesn't bend the rules or even say, well, you don't do what I say, but it's all okay. You put hands on them. Because there are many women who are ordained through the laying out of hands. But you're not a steward. They would argue that, what's their, their Ephesians would be there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Paul doesn't matter. So there, there can be no Eucharist. And I would even say no baptism and no absolution. Because it can't. It's not given for everyone to baptize. It's just not. The Great Commission is not given to everyone. Uh-oh. Here's, and here's what he'd say today. He'd say, give me an emergency. So for next time, come up with an emergency. And I can guarantee... I can oh, there are there might be some I mean everyone cites Augustine, who said well if you're on a boat and you're an unbeliever and he's an unbeliever and the only two people left in the world one guy forgives the sins of the other and he baptizes him and he baptizes him okay well tell me how that's real life well, I, can, I, can I know, you know you can I know you can my Yes. My right because he was about to go into yes. emergency surgery at yep. and the pastor couldn't get there and maybe that she is him exactly Because she baptized right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to the altar hmm as soon as he was well. Right. And seven weeks old, and exactly. Says, yes, it's a, you know, yes. Or whatever. So right. I would consider that an emergency. There are and there they're very they're very well might the problem is people say, okay. um, thank you. It's an emergency because we don't have any we don't have a you know we don't have any good male pastor, so we're just gonna have a we're gonna ordain a woman and she's gonna well that's not an emergency. There are there might be a real emergency, but what that is, I don't know. And now we're out of time. All of you have your hands up. Everyone's angry. <laughs> Gana gets to leave. You can bear it. All- a, you could, talk about a year you a could. Year but it, the, the, oh, the only thing you have to remember—if you remember anything else—if you don't have a steward, you don't have the mystery. You just can't. There's no possible way. You can't have the mysteries without the steward. That's what the Lord says. And so then your question is, well, who are the stewards? Who is He given to be a steward? And are they willing to die all? Precisely. That 's exactly right, I mean at the end, if, if someone walks in here, we should be the first to say, we'll die and and not even because not even because the congregation's been a fully submissive wife, <laughs> but that doesn 't matter in Ephesians five, even if she 's the worst wife in the world, you still have to be willing to die for, her, and that 's the gospel way to live we I, I would all of you have your hands up, we really should go, so rather than take one rather than take what. Very quick. You have to be very quick. We have to be out. I just want to say that the, that the pastor and the husbands have a greater responsibility mm-hmm. that they have to answer for. Yes, that's, exactly, that's Ephesians 5. That's right. Yep. They have to be willing to die. Can we next time talk about the responsibility that they have to bear? Yeah. I don't know who will be here, but we'll have to see. We'll see. We'll see who's going to be here, and we'll try to work all that out.